Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You running so This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And I'm going to give a shout out to all you lifers. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Patreon members and convicts, I love and appreciate y'all. Facebook stuff, y'all. I keep every week I get locked up in, yeah, yeah, whatever, for whatever reason. And so I'm going to the Real Life Real Crime Community app. It's free to download in the App Store. Go download it. 
I'm posting there first, but it's everything real life, real crime, a whole lot more than what's on the crew page or my personal pages. So go check it out. Um, today, I'm going to be continuing with Courtney Coco's trial. Actually, it's the trial of David Anthony Burns, who was on trial for his life, basically, for the second degree murder of Courtney Coco. All right. And when I left you last um, on the witnesses, the I think the last person I talked about was uh, Fred Landry. Now I'm going to continue and pick it up. But stay tuned at the end of the show for Real Life Real Crime announcements. And also, um, I'm, I'm telling you all this series because it's important. You're going to get to hear all the things you didn't get to hear on the news, all the questioning, all the back and forth, the objections, the the nastiness that came out, the the shitty stuff that you didn't hear in the news. And it's all important, and, and you deserve it because y'all stood by that family, lifers, and you're involved in this case. And now you're going to hear me turning pages and stuff, same uh, as previous episodes, except today I'm in the studio. Uh, um, and I shorthanded everything, y'all. So I'm not going to get everything word for word, but it's going to be pretty close. And, and we'll just get started. So we're the first witness Hugo calls, or not the first, the next witness Hugo called was Detective Cedric Green, right? Our good friend Cedric Green from Alexander Police Department. He walks in, takes a stand, uh, or he gets sworn in, takes a stand, and Hugo starts to question about his qualifications. Cedric Green said he'd been 32 years with APD, or Alexander Police Department, 18 years as a detective. And Hugo asked him how he became involved in this case. He said that he took the call from uh, Texas and that he went, to Miss Stephanie and um, and asked about Courtney's ring and where Courtney was. Well, we know that's not true. The 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 family, Miss Stephanie, will tell you that she got a phone call from him and he and and Hugo said you didn't make a phone call. He said I didn't call her. That's not true. Whatever. Well, I believe Miss Stephanie Cedric. Sorry, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Neither here nor there. So he said he went uh, to Stephanie and notified her or asked about the ring and then notified her uh, and that Texas requested that he get a warrant. So he got a warrant for, for Courtney's house and that her comforter and her car were missing. And he said later on, he got a second search warrant to get the ashtray that was used and, uh, and collect some other evidence that, that was there from the domino party that was there that Friday night. And he said there were some doobies, you know, I guess half-smoked joints or whatever in, in the ashtray. And he noticed that a trash can was knocked over. He said there was some disarray in the bedroom, um, and he took anything that could have been used as evidence. So, um, he said he established that Courtney – was last seen alive, or the last video they have of her was from the gate, which is a convenience store on Jackson Street. And they they showed the pictures, y'all, uh, of Courtney in the store. It was still photographs. Anyway, and that they found the same clothes that she was wearing in that photograph from late Friday night beside her bed. And he also said he got her phone records by subpoena. He also said that he got her medical records and 
found that Courtney had been diagnosed with an STD five days before she was murdered. All right, or, or I guess before she was found. So then Hugo tenders the witness to LaCour. LaCour gets up, and he, he asked um, Green about the people at the party. And, and, and then he showed the pictures of the people at the party, and Green identified who, who they were. Uh, um, then LaCour says, well, you know what? I believe you caught a lot of flack about how you worked this case. He's talking about the podcast, y'all. And Green said, yeah, I did. He, and then Green, I mean, uh, LaCour says, was Lace, being Lace Evans, Courtney's sister, was Lace a person of interest in Courtney's murder? And Green said, yes, yeah, she was. She was a suspect. And, and LaCour said, well, tell me about that. And, and he's, Green says, Lace was evasive and didn't want to talk, and that he had to chase her down, and then she didn't give a lot of answers, and she was not being truthful, and that raised his antennas. Then LaCour asked about Ernest Veal, a.k.a. Prince. He said, was he a person of interest? And Cedric Green says this. He said, I was never able to cross them, plural, out as suspects. Then LaCour said, the blanket that was missing, did it ever, did it ever show up? Green said, nope, the blanket never reappeared. LaCour asked him and said, isn't it true that Courtney made several burglary reports, like seven, eight, nine, um, in the month preceding or the months preceding her murder? Green said, yeah. He said, "Did she have a roommate?" He said, "He said, yeah." And then, but he didn't remember who it was. But not at the time that Courtney had, had kicked the roommate out. And the court was like, "Didn't he, the roommate threaten with violence?" He was like, "I don't know." Then the court goes to the lockbox and he says, well, "Look, in the lockbox, um, you looked at it and you didn't find anything." He said, "No." He said, "But did you look into her finances?" He said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, tell me about her finances." And Green says she had some money left to her from her dad. Um, and she had just received a lump sum of 20000 in July. And, but by the time she was murdered in October, it was all gone. And she didn't have any money in her bank account, like $12 or something. And he asked the lockbox, he said, he said, was it broken into? And... Green says, I can't recall if it was broken into. And then LaCour asked him, he said, did the family provide you any evidence in this case? And LaCour said, I, I, don't, I don't remember. Not LaCour. Green says, I don't remember. So LaCour asked him and said, what, what did you think about this? I mean, uh, uh, what do you think about this case? And Green said, I had theories, but no proof. He said, it's problematic for me that the autopsy showed no cause of death. He said, that makes it harder for my job to figure out who did it. Now, y'all, he's talking about the second autopsy that Dr. Stephen Norman did, and I'll tell you about that. And he was the worst witness in the case for prosecution. Then LaCour goes in and says, like, she lived in such and such neighborhood. And Cedric said, yeah. 
And he was like, how's the crime in that neighborhood? He was like, well, I mean, I can't say any, it was any worse than it is now, but it's a bad neighborhood, right? And he, he said something to the effect like, wasn't she the only white girl that lived in an all-black neighborhood? Hitting it race. And that's pretty much it, right? Hugo gets back up and says, did you take statements that were detailed? And and Cedric said, yeah, I did. He said, did they basically back each other up? Yeah. And, and Green was like, I don't know. And he said, well, when did you stop being the case detective? And he was like, way back when, y'all, way before the, the podcast and all that. Um, he said, do you know Waylon Durson or Charlene Goldman or Jude Wilson? And Green says, no, I don't know. He says, so any evidence that leads to Mr. Burns, you don't know. Green said, no, I don't know. He said, so it isn't in, in your experience and more can homicides of people in relationships or most likely to kill each other. And he said, yeah. He said, isn't it true that it's rare that a victim is to be murdered by a stranger? The court said, yes. And he asked me, do you know anything about her blood alcohol content? And he said, no. And he asked about the lockbox. He said, you know, if a lockbox is broken open, wouldn't they take money? And Green said, I don't know. So, y'all, basically, summing up on Green's stuff, not impressed at all. Um, he acted like he didn't want to be there. He actually said that he cleared no suspects in this case. And, and he uh, he said he had no evidence to point towards David Anthony Burns. Well, fuck, the, it's your police department that made the arrest, that worked the case, right? So he didn't he didn't do dick in the case other than in the, in the beginning. We know, according to um, Detective Rabelais, when he came over, he got the runaround from Green. Y'all heard that on the Who Murder Court and Coco series, whatever. So whatever Green's involvement was or wasn't i don't know uh i know he did a shitty job and he was a shitty witness and when when you're going to sit up there and say i didn't clear anybody right what the fuck you take the stand for your department has this guy on, on trial for his life but he, he didn't really care all right so then then hugo calls a guy named uh neil I think it's Bales, y'all. And he worked as the Alexander Police Department as a crime scene officer. And he actually went to the autopsy of Courtney Coco and had positively identified her by rolling her fingerprints. They had her fingerprints from somewhere on a card or something. And he went and rolled the skin and was able to do a positive match. That was her. Now, tentatively, they, they had... Um, ID'd her by her class ring and some tattoos and stuff, but this was official identification. He also said that he went to the body dump site. Um, he said he did a search warrant to to look and see if she was killed inside the residence. All he saw was a garbage can turned over, but the mattress in the bedroom, y'all, it was lifted up and they showed the photographs of this. Okay, so if you have a particle board thingy where you stick like sticky notes or pins in it or whatever, there was one, if you're facing the bed, there was one that had fallen off the wall, 
but it was underneath the mattress, the top mattress and, and, and the box spring. So obviously it looked and there, there was no comfort on the bed. And it looked like the bed had been tossed, or like there'd been signs of a struggle. So that was there. It's documented that the, you know, nobody had slept in that bed with that, that particle board being jammed underneath there. So um, he said the TV was on when he got there, and there was only a bed sheet and three pillows on the bed. There was no bedspread. He took a he took a notepad from the residence and a lockbox that was under the edge of the bed. He said he was he was able to open it. And it, it was, the lockbox was empty except for an empty box of Newport cigarettes. He said it wasn't even locked. Um. He said, also said that no one knew where Courtney's car was. In the photographs he took of Courtney's house, it, it shows that, I mean, what I just told you all, that, that board being jammed underneath the mattress. It's like down on an angle. So the mattress is kind of on an angle. You know, like something hit the wall, made it fall down, and they tossed the mattress. I don't know. It, was, it looks like a sign of struggle, but definitely nobody could sleep in that bed. So then the core gets up and, and starts to cross-examine Old Neil, he said. Uh, he said, "Mr. Neil, were were there any signs of force entry?" Neil said, "No." He said, "Well, how do you know there were no signs of force entry?" And Neil said, "Because I checked." And he said, "So you visited the site where a body was found, and you viewed the body?" And Neil said, "Yes." And uh, Neil had testified earlier. I forgot to tell you on that. He said that Courtney. He was able to establish that Courtney had been dead approximately 52 hours. So LaCour's question about that, he said, how did you reach it was 52 hours that she had been dead? He said, by the cell phone records. He said, do you have a special training on dead bodies? And Neil's like, yeah, plenty of them. I got plenty of training. And he said, that training led you to the 52 hours? He said, no. The cell phone records led me to the 52 two hours. Then the last time we know her cell phone was used before it turned up in Houston and, and the time her body was found that Monday morning. He said, well, wh- what made you believe her body was dumped in Texas? And Bell's like, Neil's like, um, by the way, her body was positioned in the, the minimal amount of dirt that was disturbed on the floor and her legs being posed up like that. And, her being severely decomposed and she was left where everybody could see her. And, and as soon as it turned daylight, a farmer coming down the road saw her. Right. And, and he was like, well, you don't have any uh, video footage of my client dumping her body in Texas. Do you? I'm like, what the fuck? If he had fucking video, uh, this, we wouldn't even be a trial. Right. But this, this is a little core genius you know, that he is. So you don't, you have a video. My client dumping that body? Well, fuck no, he doesn't have a video. But Neil said, uh, no, of course I don't have a video. He said, isn't LaCour says, isn't it true you don't know how Courtney got there and how she made it there or who brought her there? And he said, no, I don't. And uh, um, and he asked about the the dirt that was disturbed around the body. There was, y'all, um, there was a tire print recovered and – there was one shoe print and he asked him about the shoe print and, and Neil said, yeah, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was size 10 and a half or whatever. And he said they, it was an air force Nike air force one. 
And of course, says Air Force One. How do you know it was Air Force One? And, and Neil comes back and says, "Because only they have that pattern. It was a popular shoe at the time." And he said, "Well, well, did you interview uh, David Anthony Burns?" Neil says, "No." He said, "But well, did Burns have Air Force Ones?" And Neil said, "I don't know." Uh, um, then Lacour swaps and he says, "Well, the phone records." Last call is at 4.30 a.m. You- it's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And, of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year there, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, playing my stuff. 
Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. You know who... Who made that call? And he was like, no. And he said, well, did, did you review any timelines? And Neil said, yeah. He said, and the call logs and et cetera. And, and during this time? And he was like, yeah. And and then the core was like, wanted to approach the witness and show him the timelines and whatever. And all it was, y'all, was the phone call stuff. And he said, um, who – Made who was the last phone call made to at 4:30 a.m. and in the last phone call was he was able to prove that it was made to Floyd Williams, which was um, Courtney's boyfriend, Jitty, otherwise AKA Jitty. Um, It it was made to Floyd Williams' other girlfriend. Okay, so Hugo gets back up on redirect and he says, "Oh, now uh, I think it's." Neil Bates and Bates is retired y'all. And he asked me, he said, he said, how did Courtney get to Texas? He said, I don't know. He said, well, she didn't walk or drive herself there. Right. And he said, no, she certainly didn't do that. And then he goes, so let's go back to her house. You said her house was locked. And Neil said, yeah. And then he said, I had to break into it. He said, I had to break in and climb through a window because the doors were locked. And so Hugo says, well, then that means somebody had to lock it. If they took her body out and they had, they had to have a key. Right. And then look, rejected and shit like that. And Hugo moved on. So the last phone call uh, was dialed from Courtney's phone. Do you know who dialed that uh, number? And he said, no, I don't, I don't have any idea who actually dialed it. He said, I can just tell you who it called. And, he said, you took photographs of the scene, and, and Neil Bates said yes. All right. So moving on, this is where it gets interesting, so stick with me. They get the I thought they were calling a guy named Jude Wilson from Winnie, Texas, next. But it's the day two of the court, y'all. We get there, and we take our seats. Hugo comes in. He's got a gray suit on. LaCour had a um, light blue plaid. Uh, suit on and Burns had on a dark shirt and and pants. Uh, Jerry came in and, and were seated and were waiting. Hugo actually came up to me and and asked me, "Did I know about the shoes that the uh, uh, Air Force Ones?" And I did. Uh, that um, I, I know that the family had photographs of David Anthony Burns wearing them, and he was like, "Fuck it," and he said. How in the fuck did the the cops miss that? I said, I don't know. The family kept a better caseload, a case file, evidently. But he's like, don't you know I could have used that? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do, right? But, you know, so we're waiting on this witness to get there. Witness comes in. Her name is Jane Valen, V-A-I-L-E-N. She's an, I say older lady. She's older than me. Uh, She's sworn in, and she takes a stand, and, and there's, you know, Hugo starts to question her. She says she's from Winnie, Texas, and now she's um, 
like chief or clerk for the Chambers uh, County Court System or something. But back in the 2004, she actually worked worked in the criminal investigation division for the Chamber County Sheriff's Office. And he asked her, said, do you know Jude Wilson? She said, yeah, I've known him since fourth grade. Uh, he said, well, I mean, was he smart? She said, yeah, he, he never studied. And he said, Wasn't it, was he an artist? She said, yeah, he won all the art contests. Um, he said, like, if we had an art contest in school, nobody else even wanted to enter because Jude was going to win it. And then he asked her about the Rice Festival. She says the Rice Festival in Winnie, Texas, is on the first Saturday in October. And she has been the chairman for 30 years over the livestock section. And then he asked her, well, that weekend, that the, that's y'all, the that's the weekend Courtney was murdered in Dumpton, Texas. He said, did you happen to use road, farm road, uh, it's called, in Texas, they call it those highways. It's Farm to Market, FM. It's an abbreviation, Farm to Market. And he said, did you happen to use Farm to Market or FM 1406? She said, yeah, I did. And he said, well, tell me about it. And she said, well, when I, I used it, um, that it crosses over Interstate 10 and that she used it d- during the Rice Festival. She would go take her family's truck and cattle trailer and go out there. I think the ag teacher, somebody lived out there and she would go pick up animals and bring them to the rice festival. And then the last evening of the rice festival, she would bring, use the same truck and trailer to bring the animals back to the residence, to whoever it was uh, that lived off FM 1406. So then Hugo asked her, he said, so in September of this year, Law enforcement contacts you, and she said, yeah. And, and they asked you if you remembered an almost accident in 2004. And she said, yeah, at first I didn't remember it, um, but then I did. And, and she said, I know it was Sunday night because um, that day, the, the last day of the festival, the animal park started at 5 and ended around 9 p.m. And then she would load up the animals and bring them back over that route I told you about on FM 1406. When you come over the overpass, y'all, you can see the house. It's called an abandoned warehouse, technically, where her body was dumped. But it was a house attached to this abandoned double garage. So, so she could see that house, right? And... Um, she knew it was Sunday night, the last night of the festival, which is the night that um, a couple hours before Courtney's body was found or 12 hours or, or less before Courtney's body was found. But she said she was coming over the overpass and she saw a, a vehicle pull out of the abandoned house. And, and then now, of course, that house was abandoned. Y'all, where Courtney's body was dumped at. And everybody that lived in when he knew the house was abandoned, including Jude Wilson. Um, she said the vehicle shot out between her and another car and almost caused a wreck. And she had to swerve, and the other car had to swerve. And uh, uh, I think she was coming back, like headed towards the interstate, and this vehicle swerves out. And this other car, Jude Wilson was driving, was coming over, and it was almost a wreck. Now, she didn't realize it was, it was Jude Wilson in the car at the other time. Okay. 
So she said she actually wrote down the license plate. Now she's a cop. She wrote down the license plate of the vehicle and she put it in her pants or a jacket or something and she forgot about it and it got washed or whatever. And, and she didn't even put two and two together uh, when they found the body at the house. I, mean, I guess she wasn't thinking about it or whatever. I don't know. But she did say the car was a dark colored car and no one was living in the house. And she definitely knew it was sun- Sunday because um, she had to work the next morning. And that's when I told you she went in investigator mode. She got the license plate. She wrote it down. But she put it in her pocket and later lost it. So LaCour gets up. This is where it gets interesting, y'all. LaCour asked her about the festival days. Now, look, he hounds on this fucking festival the whole time. And, and there's, a, there's a reason why, and I'll explain it to you. But he says, you know, when does the festival start? And she went into the festival, blah, blah, blah. It usually uh, it went from Wednesday to Sunday. He said, yeah, but didn't they add it? Uh, wasn't a barbecue festival weekend before? And she said, yeah. And they went back and forth about that. And she said, well, didn't you tell the trooper when he contacted you that you couldn't recall? And she said, uh, the almost wreck? And she said, yeah. I didn't recall at first when I got off the phone. I started thinking, I was like, holy shit. She just said, holy shit. She said, I was like, you know, uh, I, I didn't really realize it had anything to do with the body. And, uh, and, and the trooper never mentioned that to her. And LaCour starts hammering her ass. He, he said, he's, he's implying that she lied. He said, well, why wouldn't you mention it? Why wouldn't you know? Well, there was a body there. Uh, um, you know, why wouldn't you know? You, you, don't, you don't know anything, in fact, right? And she said, I remember it all. And he said, well, then the trooper led you and told you it was a body there. And she said, no, they didn't lead me. And she was interrupting LaCour and LaCour turns to the judge and says, well, your honor, can you please instruct the witness to uh, only answer me yes or no? And the judge told her, say, you know, just answer yes or no. And then LaCour says, so it's a miracle. Suddenly right before the trial, Yet, and she cuts him off again. She said, I know what I saw. And he said, answer my questions. I'm the lawyer. The, uh, you have to answer my questions. And he said, well, did you speak to Jude Wilson? She said, no, not at all. She said she did remember Jude Wilson coming in. And she said against the course of Jackson. She remembers Jude Wilson coming in to give a witness statement the Monday after. Um, and she was like, he was, he was like, I almost got in a wreck. Or it might have been Tuesday. He was like, I almost got in a wreck right there, and I saw uh, your truck, and it had your family name on it. She said, that was you? And she said, I had that license plate. I, you know, blah, blah, whatever, and LaCour cuts her off. So then Hugo gets up, redirect, right? He said, would you have been on FM 1406 for any other reason? She said, I would not have been in the tractor trailer because animals don't leave until Sunday night because the animals don't leave until Sunday. He said, well, when you talk to trooper younger, did he tell you you were a witness? And she said, no, he said, right after she said, right after I got off the phone, I started putting two and two together. And Jude said, I saw your name on the trailer. And then he said, well, was that a yes? And she said, yes. And he said, so back, but then, as far as you were concerned, the um, 
you're just a, a witness in almost accident. She said, yes. All right, y'all. Now we're going to go to Jude Wilson. And this is very important. He's probably one of the most, actually he's probably the most, well, one of the most important witnesses in, in the entire trial. During um, voir dire, Hugo Holland played a, a clip from Aaron Brockovich, the movie. Now, Aaron Brockovich was not formally educated. She took on this, all these lawsuits and they had thousands and thousands of complainants about this big um, company dumping chemicals in the water, whatever. So they realized they can't do it on their own. So they take it to a bigger law firm and the big law firm's like, yeah, we'll take it. You know, you're relieved. And she was like, uh, no, this is my case. And they were like, you can't be expected. You don't have any formal training, blah, blah, blah. And she said, ask me anything about any clients. She said, there's thousands of clients here. You can't. She said, ask me anything about any of the clients. And then the lady's like, look, you just, she said, ask me anything about any of the clients. So all these case files, and the lady bends over and just picks some random one out. And she gives the name in Aaron uh, of a kid, right? And Aaron says, whatever the kid's name is. Spouse off address, telephone number. This was easy. Has contracted this, and this how many surgeries to die. Her, the kid's parents are such and such such such. They, they they had this type of cancer. This one had this type of cancer. Last hospital date was da 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 da. da. So she's a genius, right? Jude Wilson has that kind of memory, photographic memory. All right. So Jude Wilson comes in. He's he's older than me, white male. You you. You know, some people are so smart, they're a little eccentric, right? And and you get that feeling about Jude. So Hugo asked him, um, he said, do you know Miss Valen? He said, yeah, I've known her my entire life. And it, um, he said, do you live in Winnie, Texas? He said, well, not anymore. He said, but I did most of my life. I lived there. Um, he asked him about FM 1406, the, the road. And he said, well, it's... It's approximately five miles north of Winnie, Texas. And he said, I traveled it all the time. He said, um, it crosses I-10. And he said, on on that night, he said, I was crossing I-10 and I almost got hit by a car that was backing out. Um, he said it was a night. You know, he was trying to slow him down. And um, he said, well, tell me how you remember it that night. He said, my wife asked me to go pick up some smoke, so I had to drive down 1406, cross the overpass. He said, I went to the techno station first. They didn't have her brand of cigarettes. He said, um, now the techno is, is a 7-Eleven. They've transitioned since then. <laughs> he said, they, he said I didn't know they didn't have her brand. Uh, so then I went across the street to the Texaco, and I got her cigarettes. And he said, I know it was right around 10 o'clock at night because they were getting ready to close. He says, so I'm coming back over the overpass. Now, Hugo's asking some questions. He can't just roll on, right? So I'm, for time-wise, I'm just let it go. Um, he said, I'm coming over the overpass, and I notice a car at the abandoned house that it shouldn't have been anyone there at that time. He said, I noticed a car and the headlights, and I saw someone walk in front of the headlights, and this was between 9 and, 9 and 10 p.m. He said, they got in the car, and they had the dome light off, and they started backing out, and the light from the car was shining on the wall that they had parked in front of. He said, now, they didn't park in front of the garage. We're recording. He didn't say the body's time. He said they weren't parked in front of the garage. They were parked in, in like to the side of the, the garage, just facing the house with the light shining off the house. 
He said that cars backing out, um, as the person got closer, he, he kept backing out and not looking and, and backing out at a high rate of speed. He said, he thought, I, this guy needs to stop. And he said, I was going around 55 miles an hour and he almost hit me. He said, I had to swerve and I caught part of the license plate as I passed, passed by him when we almost wrecked. And, uh, but right as we almost wrecked, there was a dually truck pulling a cattle trailer right behind, right behind the car that almost caused the wreck between the three vehicles. He said, I think I need to get the plate because as far as I know, they're at that house stealing copper. And he said he looked behind to see if they had hit the truck, but they didn't. He turned around and tries to catch up the car. He said they were flying and they jumped on the I-10 and had to be going like 80 miles an hour towards Houston. And he didn't chase them. So Hugo asked him, he said, tell me about the plate. He said, it was a Louisiana plate, and I remember a J, W, and, a, and an 8. He said, I, I remember a J and a W because those are my initials. And Hugo puts up Courtney's license plate on the TV screen. He said, you recognize this plate? He said, yes, that's the plate. Um, he asked him to identify the car, and he said it was a dark-colored car. All right, so he says, again, he goes questioning y'all. I'm trying to just give you what you said. He says, as I got closer, he's asking about what did you see as you got closer and, and before you got the license plate. He says, as I got closer, I thought, he said it was a male. He said, I thought he was bald, but then I realized he, just, he had very short hair. It was a young person, no mustache or beard, et cetera. Right. And and so Hugo asked about his connection to the Rice Festival. He said he made uh, a pamphlet for the Rice Festival, give directions to all the different booths and rides and all that. And he sold advertisement spots to advertisers. So they would go every day. Uh, the Rice Festival was supposed to pass them out as people bought tickets and went through the gates, but they t- ended up telling Jude Wilson, we can't do it. You're going to have to do it. So he and his sister would go pass them out, right? Stay tuned because this is important. He said, I can't remember by date what what date it was. The wreck almost, um, almost occurred. He said, I'm bad with dates. Um, and so Hugo then shows some pictures on the screen and, and his characters, y'all. Uh, uh, so that Jude Wilson is a freehand artist. Like if you go to – the French Quarter in New Orleans, they got all the people sitting around Jackson Square and you pay them 20 bucks and they'll draw your picture out, right? Your likeness. He, These were pictures that Jude Wilson, he said, one day I just want to go to the mall and sit there and people watch and sketch the people as they walk by and tie myself in and see how fast I could do. I was challenging myself. So Hugo showed the different ones of all the different people he'd sketched them all. Very important. He said, did you see... Hugo asked me, did you see the news about the body in the house? The court rejected. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, saying something about the pain. I don't And Hugo says it's significant um, about the light shining off the building. Yes. And he said, then Jude Wilson says he went to the sheriff's office to tell him about the vehicle after he realized there was a body found there and that it had Louisiana plates. And he remembered the J and the W and eight. He Gave the description of the guy that was backing out, and he said he saw him by his profile, and he, just what I told y'all. He and he said the lights were shining off the building. He said I could tell the guy's details from the silhouette, and let's, let's like him drawing the you know the, the people's stuff right. And he said um, he told some detective at the sheriff's office. Now, the Chambers County Sheriff's Office policy at the time was somebody came in to give information. They would take, they would write down the information that the person tells them. They go in the back, they type up the statement, they come back and bring it to the person, and the person signs it. And that's exactly what Jude Wilson did. And and he didn't hear anything else about it. But he thought it was important enough to go in and take the time. And when he went in is when he saw Miss um, uh, Valen and they talked about it. And she was like, oh, that was you. I got it all miswrecked. But he didn't say anything about the body. He was, he just, He's just not that kind of guy, y'all. You had to be there to understand him. So Hugo says, how long was it uh, for you contacted again? And and he said, Detective Tanner contacted me a year or two ago. And he said, I told uh, Detective Dryden the same thing uh, that I told Chamber County Sheriff's Office. And, and you know, he said, I, I could draw you a silhouette of the guy. Even though it's been all these years, y'all, and Tanner's like, okay, so evidently uh, Wilson drew drew the silhouette, and he sends it to Tanner, and Tanner's like, holy shit! And the silhouette, and they show the silhouette, y'all, in court, and I'm looking at Burns' chin and all that stuff, and I'm looking at this dark silhouette. I'm like, holy shit! I mean, really look like him. So Tanner, when he gets that, he's like, well, shit. I mean. We're going to get a, a six pack or a photo lineup 
and see if he can pick out David Anthony Burns. So they did that. And I'll explain all that to you later in, in Tanner's testimony. But so they send him the, the, the they presented Jude Wilson 16 years later with a photo lineup. And this is before Burns has been arrested, but Burns was never the suspect or anything else, hadn't been on the news, nothing. He picks Burns out of the fucking lineup. He says, that's him, number five, period. Now, that, my friend, is probable cause, all right? Now, LaCour gets up, and I'm going to touch on this. I don't know if I can get through all this in this hour. LaCour is on fire, uh, um, so I'm going to try to get through it. LaCour gets up and says, isn't it true, Mr. Wilson, you gave three statements to law enforcement? And you never said you recognized the number eight on the plate. And Will says, no, I told Chambers County I saw the eight. He said, well, that apparently didn't get into your statement. He said, you signed a statement, didn't you? I mean, this was regarding a murder. And he said, Wilson said, well, I guess I had more trust in the sheriff's office to get my statement correctly. He said, but uh, uh, they didn't put it in there. He said, I said it. The court says, well, you should have read your your signed statement. Now, did you make it a habit of going around uh, signing things you don't read? And and he said, I told the detective what I saw. I told him about the license plate. I told him about the silhouette. If it's not in there, you know, then that's on them. Uh, he said, well, you signed it. And right here on the bottom of this thing, I want you to read it for me. And read it, y'all. Any uh, Texas witness statement. It's not like Louisiana. On the bottom, it has a um, it's a felony clause to give a false statement, blah blah blah, or commit perjury. And he's trying to tell Jude Wilson, "Well, you committed perjury. Uh, uh, you signed it. You didn't even read it." And he's like, "Dude, why would I go in there and commit perjury?" Today's Lacour saying, "Today's the first time I ever heard about you saying that uh, uh, you saw some guy walking around in front of the headlights." And he said, "Are you playing games? You playing games?" And, and like, I like the fucking fell out of my chair. I mean, he's like screaming at him. Um, and Hugo objected, whatever. And the uh, course says, you recall in 2020 talking to Detective Dryden, he said, in that interview, you did a lineup. He said, why would you be able to pick somebody out of a lineup that you only said you saw their profile? He said, did you tell Dryden you didn't see his face? He said, yeah, I didn't see his face, his frontal face. He said, then you didn't see his full face. How can you pick him? And Jude Cusmoff says, because I can see it in my mind. He said, when I can see a profile, I'm an artist. I can see a profile and get the picture on mine. He said, it's just what I do. And he said, well, you didn't, you didn't mention the number eight to Zach Dryden. He said, and the, the night you took the pick, you, you got a plate in your mind, and, you, and you, you watched TV, and you saw a J and a W and an 8, and you need to refresh your memory. He said, no, I don't need to refresh my memory. He said, why are you passing out uh, brochures on the last day of the festival? And Wilson says, because the advertisers, I mean, I, they paid me money to do it. And and then he starts kicking on the festival about this damn brochures, y'all. He said, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be, you know, the festival have passed out the brochures on the first day of the festival? Well, 
That doesn't make any fucking sense. Every day the festival goes on. But Wilson never said he was at the festival on that day. He said he was going to get cigarettes. I'm interjecting my own shit now because he's tearing him an ass. Hugo objects, uh, um, says, let the witness answer because LaCour is just pounding him. Um, And he keeps pounding him. Starts about the date. He said, in your statement, you put the date as September the whatever, uh, the week before, y'all. And he said, well, I get dates wrong all the time. And, it, and he said, I'm horrible with dates. He said, but I'm telling you, it was that night that I saw the car pulling out, and they almost hit me, and I saw the guy. And he said, I can't remember dates, you know. He said, well, whenever you read, you read your statement, you signed it. He said at the bottom, and again, he's going back to the Texas Penal Code, so I skipped that. He's just trying to make him flustered, and which Jude Wilson never got flustered, y'all. He said, you made a false statement. Yeah, you made a false statement. He said, I did not. He said, I told them what I saw. They wrote it down, and I signed it. He said, I didn't read it, but I know what I told them. He said, did you not say it was a, a dark, a mid-sized vehicle? And he said, that's what your statement says, but that's not, and and he said, he said, that's not what I told them. He said, he said, why would I waste my time? And the court says, that's a great, great question because my client's life is on the line. Why would you waste your time? And he said, you saw it on the news and, and they gave plate numbers. He said, how we know you're not some kind of, you don't have some kind of fascination with murder cases or something it, it, you and then now Hugo's objecting I mean he's, he's calling Wilson a quack and saying that he interjected himself in an investigation because he wanted to be a part of it right right uh, trying to tell so the judge cut him off uh, just like you know Mr. LaCour you gotta stop uh, uh, he said well you signed an affidavit say you didn't see him uh, but you only saw his profile yeah he said yeah but 15 years later you tell Dryden it was the Wednesday before the Rice Festival. He said, uh, you know, and and Wilson starts to give it another long explanation. The court says, Your Honor, please instruct him to uh, not give long explanations. He said, you told Dryden. He said, you see the dates in James County uh, uh, came up with an early date and he said, I don't know exactly the date it happened. And then the court came back. He said, 16 years later, you pick a man out of photo lineup. He said, I saw the profile. And he said, the court says, well, what, what you know, you saw a profile. Ain't everybody's profile the same? He said, no. Jude Wilson said, no. A person's profile is like a fingerprint in my mind. He said, you can have some common features, but it, it, it's still Everybody's is different. It's like a fingerprint. And LaCour tenders the witness. I'm going to hurry up with this. The uh, Hugo gets up and he says, he said, I asked you earlier about uh, the date. And Wilson says, I have problems with dates. He said, for example, last year I called my son in January and said, happy birthday. And my son said, that's great, Dad, but my birthday is not till next month. He said, I've actually been fired from a job because I showed up on my days off or didn't show up on the days I thought I was supposed to work because I had my dates wrong. He said, I'm horrible with dates. And <laughs> he says he's been fired for that. And he, he said, but it's seared into my mind 
uh, because that dude almost hit me on that night. And it, Hugo said, did you sign your statement without reading it? He said, yeah, I did. And he said, when you were last interviewed, you told them um, you, were, you were responsible for signing it, but the, the detective got it wrong. He said, I thought they would get it right. He said, well, was it ever your intention to deceive Chambers County Sheriff's Office? Wilson says no. Was it ever your intention to deceive Detective Ryden? Wilson says no. He said, was it ever your intention to deceive us, anybody in this courtroom, or the jury? Wilson says no. Wilson says, Jude Wilson says, I'm not gaining anything from this. I don't even want to be here. And and Hugh asked about the profile being a fingerprint. He, he said, I can take a snapshot of somebody's profile on mine and turn it sideways. And once you see those features in the profile, you can tell that person that he, you, you can, I, I can draw that person. And he said, Hugo said, you understand this man's on, on trial for his life. And he said, absolutely. He said, I believe everybody should get a fair trial. And he said, Hugo said, well, does that change any of your testimony today? Jude Wilson said, no, absolutely not. Now, y'all, Jude Wilson was very, very believable. The um, court tried to hammer him on the dates that when he went in. And, look, he may have gave Chambers County the wrong date. The, this guy's, I mean, I, I believe him. If you got fired from uh, going to work on a Saturday or and not showing up on a Monday on dates and you call your kid and tell him happy birthday, it's the wrong month. And he, he's telling, he's not making the bonus. He said, I, I don't do dates. And he said, but profile, I got your ass. And guess what? 16 years later, the profile he drew in Burns should have looked, looked just like him to me. And then they get into the photo lineup. And he picks him out number five, and he says, listen, I want everybody to get a fair trial. But for LaCour to say, you got some kind of fascination with murder, you lying, da 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 and you committed perjury. and da-da-da. I mean, you know, I guess that's LaCour's job, right? Well, guess what? He failed miserably in my eyes because Wilson was believable, so believable, even if you have to take it in the centric parts. But even more believable was Miss. Janet Valen that had known Wilson his entire life and didn't even put two and two together when Wilson told her that day, hey, we, uh, she was in the CID, um, but it, when he came in and make a report, she didn't take the report. He said, hey, it was your truck that uh, I'm coming here to make a report about a guy pulling out of the house and, and almost getting wrecked. She said, that was you, Jude. And, but she didn't put it together. She was believable. And LaCour tried to dig her in her ass, and that was a mistake because it didn't do anything but piss the jury off. Him trying to dig in Wilson's ass didn't do anything but piss the jury off. I mean, he was wrong. and But I guess I guess that's what he had to do as a defense attorney. But anyway, that's it. I'm going I'm to end that one today. And y'all, the rest of the ones we're going to be getting into are like the meat, meat, uh, uh, family. I should fin- finish up the witnesses in one more episode and then we'll do closing arguments. And it's just important. I know I'm rambling a lot and, and, and reading from notes and stuff, but I want y'all to hear the real inner workings and uh, what happened on this trial. So I'm going to conclude this week's episode. 
Um, y'all go to the Real Life Real Crime community. Go to the App Store. Download the Real Life Real Crime Community app. I can't stress it enough. I try to answer everybody on Facebook, and I'm telling you, every week they lock me out of my account. So not necessarily Facebook jail, but they lock me out, and then I can't log back in. It's happened more and more. We've got over 10,000, maybe 11,000 users in the app now. If we can get everybody over there, first of all, it has way more than the crew page, and it has forums where you can post and everything. It has everything, and and I'm going there first every morning. So if I don't get to you on Facebook, I apologize. But And every time I get locked out, I have Cindy posts that I'm locked out. So y'all go download the app. Um, Bloody Angola, other podcast, a, a co-host with Jim Chapman. The I don't know what week you're getting this, but we're, I'm going to drop an episode of Bloody Angola the week of Thanksgiving because I know most people are traveling and stuff. Uh, we're gonna I'm going to drop that for all you lifers to hear. I think it's super, super interesting, but of course, I love the criminal mind. I love the history. Um, Crew Bash, the tickets should be on sale by now. The the It's February 3rd and the 4th, the VIP event. It's February 3rd. February 4th is the live show. Um, the VIP event, we are going to have some auction stuff for Lopa. And, of course, we're going to be selling raffle tickets for all the bigger items for Lopa. And stay, by, stay tuned for a special drop if you hadn't got it already on that. And we want to raise some money for Louisiana Organ more money for Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Friday night's a party. I get in, and it's gonna, I think it's, we're only like 250 people in. Um, those VIP tickets, it gets you Friday night and Saturday night's entrance. You get in early uh, so you can get a table or whatever on Saturday night. But Friday night, the VIP, we party. I take uh, photographs and uh, I'm, and sign autographs with everybody that's there. And then, then we get, you know, we have a band and we're going to party, right? If you were there last year, you know, it was a hell of a good time. And then, like I said, it gets you in early Saturday night for your prime position for the real life, real crime crew bash fourth annual going to blow it up. It's, it's going to be killer. Chase Tyler band's going to play afterwards. Y'all you better get your tickets because they, they, we sold out every year, and I know we're going to sell out this year if we haven't sold out already. So, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, go to lopa.org. You don't have to be from Louisiana to be an organ donor. You can be from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. If you want to be an organ donor, go to lopa.org, click on it, fill it out. Take about two minutes, save lives, people. Lopa saves lives. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Patreon Convicts, thank you so much. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you're running so that's for sure.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.